views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I want to welcome you. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Hey, thank you all for tuning us in and turning us on. And we got some really cool things we're planning next week. And Benny and I were talking about this via Skype here a few minutes ago, which is we are planning to... Bring back the old prosperity cards and angel cards. Yes, indeed. But we're bringing them back in a, in a brand new, different way. Kind of a way to kind of kick the energy off from the blood moon and coming out of Mercury and retrograde and looking at the expansiveness that is in front of each of us. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for everything you've done and the emails you've sent, you know, about hey, when are you going to do the cards again? Yes, we are going to do it. And we're going to do something really interesting for all of you. Uh, we're planning an online version for you guys as well. Uh, each, each month we'll have a theme. And we look forward to connecting with you on that. Mr. Benny, how are you today? Uh, doing awesome, Pat. Thank you for asking. I know. Another day in paradise, isn't it? No, oh, you know it. <laughs> well, you know, we've got a great lineup today. Great lineup. Uh, you know, one of these, uh, you know, one, one of these days I'm going to sit down and I'm going to share, you know, sort of what it was like in my life, you know, growing up with a mom that had mental challenges, as we now call them. But what does that even mean? You know, what is it, you know, the wide range of, of issues that we lump in, lump in to, you know, this, this notion of mental illness. And there is a wide range right now. But back in the day when my mom was going through her challenges, there wasn't. And, you, you know, many of you have heard me do several shows talking about, you know, what this was like for us and for our family. And how no one, no one really talked about anything. You know, they didn't talk about my granddad. That was a little different. You know, they used to talk to him about being moody. You know, I mean, things that just didn't make sense. You know, folks would point to him and say, oh, you know, we love it when he goes in that shed and, you know, he starts to paint and he starts to create. But now, fast forward to where we are. And look at what's happening in the world. You know, look at the light that we are shining on people from all walks of life that have shared their story, their passion, and their conviction about what it's like 
to have invisible disabilities. Today, we get to talk with folks, two, two amazing people that have written a book, Easy to Love but Hard to Live With, Real People, Invisible Disabilities, True Stories. You know, if my mom was living today, she'd be able to pick up the phone and call Tricia and Lisa and say, I got a story to tell you, ladies. Um, but she's not because folks that struggle with challenges that are not recognized positively in the world we live in today don't really have many options. But thanks to my guest today joining the show, we have a conversation about these invisible disabilities to really shine a different light. So I'm thrilled to talk with these co-authors joining me here today, Tricia Bliven Chasanoff and Lisa Davis, who have written this book, Easy to Love but Hard to Live With. Now, many of you out there, if you have any idea, you get the title of this book without us even talking about it. You know, we don't have to really dive into the question of why did you write this book? Because it's right there in the it's in the title. But let me tell you about Lisa for a minute. Beyond all of the credentials she has, beyond the master's in public health, 25 years as a health educator, lifestyle coach, I can go on and on and on. You know, she is someone that takes her message out on radio and television. Fabulous radio show. It's your health. And beyond all of that, has become a spokesperson for conversations that many, many mainstream media outlets do not want to have. You know, but thanks to her and thanks to especially the stations that we're on, the conversation gets to come to the forefront. You know, so she has pretty much interviewed New York Times best-selling authors, doctors, dietitians, celebrities, you know, and provides us with insight and that's what I love about this in this conversation. We're going to get insight. And so this is really, for me, being able to have a conversation with folks that have gone down into the bowels of what it's like to have an invisible disability and bringing us a new perspective. Lisa, as a matter of fact, you know, she is a host and produces It's Your Health, and it airs on two NPR stations a bunch of commercial station, stations, and beyond all of that, you know, does not waver in her conviction to bring a new perspective on health to the forefront. You know, Tricia joining me here today as well. You know, when we look at this, now this term neuroscience, it is one of the most amazing terms we have in the, as a matter of fact, you know, very popular hit television show, The Black Box, is based on so many many ideas and constructs in the field of neuroscience. She's a freelance writer, researcher in the field of integrated health. Hallelujah. We can actually say that word and not get the, have somebody hit the, the shutoff button. And wellness, mother of two. Today, the conversation goes to the level of this is what's going on, and this is what we need to know, and here's what we need to do. Trisha, Lisa, thank you for joining me here today on the show. Thank you so much, Pat. Thank you. You know, um, I made a comment, and I, per perhaps let's start here before we dive into the book. I don't know if you all have seen the uh, hit series, uh, The Black Box. Um, I haven't. I have not either. Put it on your list to go back in the archives, because it's one of the most interesting television shows that talks about, you know, the gifts, the blessings, and the curses in having bipolar disease. 
And it's done from a the, the point of view that the main character is a neuroscientist, a, you know, a genius. But this is really what you have done in capturing some of the stories of these real people. So let's have a conversation, if we could, on invisible disabilities and what that really, really means. I want to start off with that because what I didn't share uh, with you guys is, yes, my mom was in the category of the people you interviewed, but unfortunately for her, it was way too much in the time she lived in and she actually committed suicide. And so part of the conversation that I would love to have is what are these invisible disabilities and why do we look at these people with such distaste in our society? Who would like to start with that conversation? Lisa, would you? Oh, definitely. You know, sorry to clear my throat here. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I think everything you said, by the way, you're so eloquent and I'm so sorry about your mother. And and that's something that unfortunately can happen a lot with people with mental illness. You know, actually, I'm going to let Trisha take this because I seem to have a frog in my throat. Okay. It's embarrassing. I'm going to grab some water. <laughs> Hold okay. on. Trisha, go ahead. Jump in if you sure. want. No, I think uh, to continue what Lisa was saying, I, I think that the first thing is to understand what invisible disabilities are, and they are any disability that, you know, first, obviously, it's, it's invisible. So if mm-hmm. you were to encounter somebody on the street who's in a wheelchair or who was obviously ill or disabled in some way, most of us, I would hope, wouldn't hesitate to make accommodations and to kind of stretch our understanding around what, those person, what that person's needs might be. Um, and, then, and that's great and wonderful and important, but there's a whole other uh, population of people who have needs and need accommodations and need kind of a depth and a different type of understanding but that it's not obvious to us. So these are the people with mental illnesses, with learning disabilities, with developmental disorders, who if you look at, and maybe if you'd be quickly, you may never understand or see that they were struggling the way that they're struggling. But yet they, they do struggle, and they struggle to make their way through the world uh, in a way that, that the rest of people, other people may take for granted. So holding down jobs and maintaining relationships and friendships and just carrying on the activities of daily living is so much more difficult um, for for this group of people. Yeah, you, you know, one of the things that um, I, that you know really comes to the forefront, and you know, what a what a great book, you guys. I mean, you know, Thank it's you not too. just a book; it's really a platform. I mean, for me, when I when I sit down, I read this, and I've read the book. You know, there are so many things I had to go back and read it again. Because there are so many, so many things in here to talk about, conversations to have. Um, and, you know, the words that you select and the way that you, you have written is so vivid. I remember reading something, and I, I think it was, you know, because of Charlie. I was sitting here reading. And, and you start off by saying, and I, if you don't mind, let me just read this. You say, it was dark, painfully dark. It was private, painfully and carefully private. And as I read those words, uh, ladies, I thought of my mom. But then I thought of all the other people I know in my life today and that have gone along this path and that I've interviewed that are in such a dark place and cannot find the hope or the ladder to climb up and out. What have you discovered in these interviews? You know, did you discover that this dark place is sort of a theme for everyone or is it different for each person that you've interviewed? I would say it's different for each person. How about you, Lisa? 
Oh, definitely. I definitely think so. And I also want to mention, too, that we edited the book. So these stories were written by, there's 35 essays in the book, and they were written by them. And then we kind of cleaned them up, I guess you would say, right? Trisha, yeah. Yeah. Trisha handled yeah, a lot yeah. of that. So <laughs> I did more of the organizing, and she did more of the editing. <laughs> okay. So how would you say they're different, uh, Lisa? What would you say, uh, as you discovered and listened to these stories, you know, what was it for you that struck you right in the middle of your heart, that once you were collecting these and you saw them and you heard these stories, what did your heart open to? Wow, that is such a good question. You know, I'm, I was pretty open-hearted to begin with because I've been, I've been there and mm-hmm. where these people are and in some ways, more as a person who loves the people who have the issues versus someone who has them themselves. But I definitely saw... In terms of the darkness, actually, going back to that, I mean, there's darkness in the isolation and the misunderstanding. Wouldn't you agree, Tricia? Yes, and in the shame. Yes, exactly. And I think there's more shame on the mental illness side, maybe than like the ADHD or learning disability. But I think there's also shame there if, especially like someone like Henry Winkler, for example, I was really moved by his story, not just because it's Henry, but because he, you know, he was called the dumb dog by his parents and he was treated so poorly, and he was so misunderstood. And it wasn't until his son uh, was diagnosed with some learning disabilities that he discovered that he actually had something. And that's what's so huge about the book. You know, he's like, I'm not just flawed or lazy or stupid. I have dyslexia. I could, you know, I can look at this. I can understand it. And it still took him years to not feel stupid. That's one of the things, too. But having something that you realize is a real brain-based disorder is so huge. And Trisha can expand on that with her own personal story of finding a name to what she had struggled with for so many years. Yes, I I have OCD. And I started really, my OCD started in earnest when I was about 11 years old. And I became inexplicably terrified that I was pregnant. And, you know, of course, completely impossible and irrational. But I lived with this incredible fear and I would live not not necessarily probably with that fear for six or seven years, um, and it morphed into different fears throughout my life depending on kind of what what was going on, um, but very intense irrational fears, and very um, upsetting and time consuming compulsions. Yeah. And I didn't tell anybody. I told absolutely nobody. Everybody knew I was anxious. Everybody knew that you know I was high strung and. Um, and I worried a lot, but nobody really understood the, the depth of it because I worked so hard to hide it. And I worked so hard to hide it because I was ashamed. I felt like I, didn't, I had no idea um, that I had a, a mental illness. I thought I was lazy and weak and didn't have any willpower. And I thought that if I could just will myself, if I just worked hard enough and became more committed, uh, I, I would, could will myself into to not worrying anymore. I thought, it was a, I thought my worrying was a character flaw. And it wasn't until I was in my early 30s, and I was reading a story online, cruising around one day, and somehow I stumbled upon a story um, of a woman who had pretty much the exact same experience I did. Same worries, same obsessions, same compulsions, and I was floored. And it was Mm. the first first time ever that it occurred to me that my worrying was actually part of a larger mental illness and that wasn't just a character flaw and that maybe if it wasn't just a character flaw I could do something about it I could get help and maybe I didn't have to be ashamed anymore maybe I didn't have to think that I was just this weak-willed person who didn't have 
you know, enough willpower to stop worrying. Right. Right. You know, I think it's really fascinating, and I want to ask you both uh, about the journey in, in, in the book. And for those of you that are just tuning in, look it. The book is easy to love but hard to live with. And I think for those of us that have gone down this path of being on either side of that coin, uh, it is refreshing and, and uh, you know, with deep gratitude to both of you for bringing this conversation to the forefront in a way that the you know folks that read this can understand and at least move from points of anger to points of compassion because don't you don't, don't you think that you know in your journey you know, part of what you've discovered is the anger towards people that are different that have these indivi- that have these you know invisible disabilities you know and aren't we really trying to move to a place of compassion, Lisa. I mean, you know, this had to be, you know, conversations in the stories I've read where almost everybody around these folks is like, what the bleep is going on? (laughs) Yeah, it's real. Yeah, I mean, I grew up angry with my mother because she just seemed so weird. I mean, she had to have the house ice cold. She could, we couldn't cook with spices. She couldn't drive on the freeway because everything was too fast. She didn't like us having friends over. Everything had to be in its place. She couldn't handle any disorder and, and the environment was just so controlled and it was just ridiculous. And I, everyone's just like, what's wrong with your mom? And, you know, she ended up, she actually has something called sensory processing disorder, but she died in her fifties from ovarian cancer and never got the diagnosis. And the reason that I know she has it is because I had a daughter in my mid thirties that came out just like my mom. (laughs) It's like, Oh my goodness, I can't do this again. But then I was able to get more compassion because I realized once my daughter got her diagnosis and she also has some others as well, that, wow, my mom wasn't doing this just to, to be difficult, right? These people aren't trying to, to be irritating. I mean, they're as irritated. They're more irritated than we are. Wouldn't you say, Tricia? Like, it's harder to live with it, I think, than to live with somebody who lives with oh, it. Oh, absolutely. But that makes absolutely. sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it yeah. gave me a lot of insight, and it, my heart's broken that she died and never, ever got validated. So I, I don't want that to happen to anybody else, and that was why I wanted to do the book. And that's, yeah. I reached out to Tricia and said, let's, let's do a book, because... I didn't have enough for a full book. And I thought, why not make it an anthology and we can get all kinds of stories and really open people's eyes to what's going on with these issues. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it was heartbreaking for me to learn later on what was actually happening with my mom, Mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, you kind of grow up. And I don't know if you guys know this, but, you know, if you grow up and in my culture, grow up in my culture, you have a lot of secrets. You know, you're not going to ever talk about this. You're going to say mom is sick or mom is this or mom is that. Nobody's going to jump up and say mom is depressed, you know, or or mom is, you know, having a little anxiety over whether or not the cookie jar top is put on and flips out when it's not. So, you know, there's the embarrassment that a family chooses to carry around its members did you discover that as you interviewed these people you know that the family believes it has to take on the burden of looking good you know in the face of actually having a conversation about what might be happening trisha wasn't that in 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 joyce's story didn't her father he was even though he was a alcoholic and was had Mm. depressive rages that he was like we all had to you know you know put this good you know, front for our family or, you know, yeah, the expression I'm yeah, trying to say. Yeah, and I think okay. that, that that is a theme that certainly was more common 
a generation or two ago, but I think is still very pervasive today, and not, not just for families, but for, for individuals. You know, we don't want anybody to see this kind of imperfect, messy part of our, of our lives. I think that was yeah. one of the big motivations that Lisa and I had for writing this book, is that we wanted to give people a forum where they felt safe to kind of share these, these secrets um, and yeah. these parts of themselves that, you know, maybe, are, maybe aren't the parts of yourself that you're going to put on your, your annual holiday card or on your Facebook status. Um, they're, they're parts that we, we try to minimize and we try to instead present a, a more sanitized version of ourselves, but it's not true. I mean, these, these people told, told the truth about their lives, and I think that's what made them so brave. Well, you know, I want to ask you a question for if we could, because you, the interviews in here, the range of people, it, it's just fascinating to me. And the stories are so heart, you know, heartfelt. But I want to ask you a question about our pop culture, if I could. Um, you know, in the past, I'd say three to five years, there have been people, celebrity status out there that have had serious issues. And, you know, one that comes to mind, you know, who to this day, is, you know, we still hear condescending comments about her personal journey, and that's Britney Spears. And, you know, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because there is this lack of compassion for someone like a Britney Spears, and only until someone like a Robin Williams, you know, passes on or takes his own life, do we, do we get some heartfelt sentiment. How do we close the gap here between making fun of people, especially now with kids in school and the level of cyberbullying that goes on about these disabilities? What, what, are, what are your thoughts on, on closing the gap here? Well, I think we have to start talking about it, and I think we have to start talking about it for real. You know, we talked about when you mentioned Robin Williams. When Robin Williams died, we talked about it for a couple of weeks, and we talked about mental illness and the tragedy of mental illness. And, and, and then it just kind of fizzled away. Right. And, and that's the case every time something like that happens, when there's a suicide, when there's a crime, when there's some horrific event that, that is newsworthy and we talk about it at work or we talk about over dinner, and then we forget about it. Um, and, and it's not until the next time that there's something horrific that it comes up again. But people aren't talking about um, Britney Spears-type stories. They're not talking right. about the person whether celebrity or not, who's just struggling day in and day out. Nothing, nothing huge, nobody's dying, nobody's committing a crime, but they're, they're struggling every single day to just navigate through the world, and people don't tell those stories. And that, that's what this book is about. It's an opportunity mm -hmm. for people to tell those stories and to hear those stories. Mm. You know, it used to be, if you, if you could recall, I remember someone saying to me, oh, it had to be, had to be about eight years ago. Uh, someone saying to me, you know what, if they would have had the ADD thing, they called it, when you were growing up, I bet you would have been put in that category. And I thought to myself, wow, that is an interesting statement to make to me. Uh, you know, but here we are, let's fast forward to where we are today. You know, we have had more conversations about what ADD is or ADD isn't or, you know, all of the ADD versions of what's going on. And yet, we are still faced with the fact that one of the fastest growing, let me just call it diagnosis right now, is for autism. When I first started to do this show and began a campaign on autism awareness, the numbers were something like one in 700. 
Those numbers have changed drastically, but yet the conversation hasn't. And I wanted to hear from each of you. Why not? Or maybe it has changed and I'm just out of the loop. I don't know about you, Lisa, but I think it has changed. I think so, too. I think it's changed. Now, Lisa and I both have children who are on the spectrum. And, you know, so we spend a lot of time chatting about with each other and, and with other people about, about what that's like. And I do, I do feel like there's been a huge shift in our understanding and resources and acceptance um, of, of that particular diagnosis. Mm-hmm. We're not yeah, there yet, so but I think there's been a big positive movement. And, you know, in, when we're looking at sort of the, the question mark around, uh, around in, in invisible disabilities, I'm just curious, you know, are any of these gender specific? And what I mean by that is, you know, are, are the stories and what people have shared, are they unique to gender or gender doesn't matter? I would say gender doesn't matter. That's what it seems to be. I mean, you can mm-hmm. read statistics that more boys are diagnosed with ADHD or more yeah. boys are diagnosed with autism. But in our in our book, at least, it seems like I mean, we have people that are women with bipolar. There's a story about a woman's ex-husband who has bipolar. There's a man with ADHD or ADD. There's a woman with ADD. Right? Wouldn't you say, Tricia? Yeah. So we have we have a man with um, very interesting, actually, body dysmorphic disorder that was Brian Cuban's yes, story, is. and that is mm-hmm. typically a very female-dominated diagnosis. But, you know, it's interesting to hear that that male perspective on that. Well, you know, one of the things that I think must have been completely uh, amazing for you all was to see how open people were to share their stories. Did that come unexpectedly to you, especially if we want to talk about Henry Winkler for a minute? You know, what was your feeling about how open people were and how trusting they were of sharing their stories with you both? Well, I feel like people are desperate to share their stories in a way because here we are saying we want to hear you. We want to know. We want the dirt. We don't want to sugarcoat it. We don't want it to be clean. We want, you know, just give us the real scoop. And like Trisha had said earlier, a lot of, you know, you always feel like you have to hide the mess and you can't show what's really going on in your home. And here they're allowed to. Now, there are some people in the book who chose to remain anonymous, but most of the people put up, you know, have their names and you could Google them and find out more about them. I guess that's my feeling. I, I think that it, it's it was like a, it's cathartic because I can't say the word today. It's cathartic for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think we certainly had a self-selected group. I mean, we we kept yeah. wide a wide net, and and we got the people who were interested in, in sharing their story. And I think that you know they are probably a minority of of people um, who are going through this who will would be willing to be as open as our contributors were. They were real brave, real brave group of people. Yeah, that's true. Well, there were some people I reached out to who mm-hmm. said no, right. and I was really disappointed course, right. because they had incredible stories, but they were afraid that someone in their family might recognize it because they would go, oh, wait, you know Lisa, you know, like all people that I knew. <laughs> so yeah. it'd be a little bit, oh, just now it's just like, oh, no, no. Well, she's, you know, one of your closest friends. Oh, well, no, no, it's not <laughs> me, you know, so it'd, it'd get a little tricky there. Well, you know, one of the things I want to talk about when we come back from break is some of the things that you've learned, you know, in the process. Um, You know, one of the things that I I talked about about two weeks ago, we did a show on divorce rates. And what we've discovered is that, you know, divorce rates are on average are 50 percent normal families, let's call them. But anytime you introduce a a chronic illness or a mental illness, the divorce rate goes up to 75 percent or higher. 
And one of the things I read about in the book were I read about some of these ideas that you put forth, almost, you know, education on what we can do, what we can do to become more aware, but also what we can do to help folks that are carrying this in these invisible disabilities. We're going to take a short break when we come back. Perhaps we'll get to share some of these stories. We'll talk about what you should be aware of and how you can find out more. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. Get sophisticated with David and Philip Zarza. David and Philip touch on topics such as human potential, spirituality, pop culture, and purposeful living. Experience an insightful reading from David on what the universe has in store for you. Or reconnect with a departed loved one. Philip can look into an issue or anything else you may be dealing with. Go to GetSophisticated.com. That's S-O-P-H-I-S-T-I-G-A-Y-T-E-D.com. Or call 206-420-8660. Wonder how to make more confident strategy for retirement? Do you know that there are potentially more than 12 things to consider when planning for or approaching retirement? Then stop wondering and attend the retirement seminar hosted by Jeff Packman, financial advisor with Packman Brown and Associates, a financial advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services Incorporated in Bellevue, Washington. Call 425-372-4813 for a formal invitation to the next seminar on November 5th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Light hors d'oeuvres and beverages will be provided. This is an informational event. There is no cost or obligation. Ameriprise Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. If you're one of the millions of Americans suffering from anxiety, you probably know how powerless and out of control this emotion can make you feel. This is why it is so important to remember that anxiety is created by your mind, which means that you can learn to use your mind to uncreate it. Hello, my name is Dr. Friedman Schaub. My award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution, provides you with a step-by-step breakthrough process to understand and resolve the root causes of your anxiety and build a solid foundation of confidence and inner peace. If you are ready to take your power back Visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. That's thefearandanxietysolution.com. Or call 866-903-6463. That's 866-903-MIND. Get insider knowledge about everything that is going on at Transformation Talk Radio. Go to transformationtalkradio.com and enter your email to receive our newsletter. Stay updated on new hosts, inspiring guests, and good news articles from around the world. We look forward to having you join our community. Would you like to be a question with anything that comes up in your body or mind? Would you like to become totally aware and begin to function as the conscious being you truly are? Join Access Certified Facilitator Glenna Rice every month for a live teleclass where you can ask all of your questions and learn to create change in any aspect of your life. Visit GlennaRice.com today to learn more and don't miss the next call. Join the questionable conversation today at GlennaRice.com. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Very, very cool. I get to talk with two incredible people, you know, and part of the conversation, first of all, before I I tell you all about them and before we get you to a website, this is the book, Easy to Love but Hard to Live With, Real People, Invisible Disabilities, True Stories. Uh, It is a profoundly insightful and amazing book. And the reason that I say that is because, you know, this is not about the passion and purpose that Trisha or Lisa had to really, you know, capitalize on the headlines. You know, these two women were at this way before the headlines. But bringing these 35 powerful essays from adults and those who love them with autism, mental illness, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, OCD, ADHD, and boy, I could tell you there's a range of others that are out there. These stories are important so that we can inspire and empower. Uh, You know, if you wouldn't mind, would you tell folks the best website to find out more about you and definitely tell folks how they can listen to your radio show? Oh, great. Well, you can do both by going to www.itsyourhealthnetwork.com. There's a list of the stations, and there's thousands and thousands of interviews (laughs) in 16 different categories that you can go through and enjoy. Great. And uh, the book is available like what? Everywhere? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you go to It's Your Health Network and you just click, it'll take you right to Amazon and it's it's doing great for it was in two hot new release categories special needs parenting even though it's not really that i mean there's a couple stories about kids uh and also special needs biographies which is much more uh correct yes wow you know i, I so i wanted to can i can if, i know we're going to talk about a couple of other things here but i just want to ask you i mean i had a question that that just popped in my mind um, about, you know, the book and, and, and both of you and your passion for taking this message out into the world. Had you run into any resistance from people about the dialogue and the conversation? The reason I ask that is that, you know, there are many, many people that ha- have very little tolerance for folks that are in the the category of invisible disabilities. You know, having grown up with that myself, tolerance isn't even a word that you can use. And I wanted to ask you, in the world where it seems like there are more people now that are depressed, that are drugs, alcohol, that are ADD, ADHD, have we run out of our patients or have you discovered something else? What do you think, Lisa? I've I've only gotten great. I know. <laughs> I've only heard great things. I, I've I haven't heard anything negative. Yeah. No. I I haven't either. I think everybody. Is, of course, we surround ourselves with the people who are going to be supportive anyway. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that by and large, people are happy that these stories are are being told because even if you don't have an invisible disability yourself, and even if it's not your mother or your child or a sibling, chances are you know somebody who has been affected by one of these disorders. And so, you know, you can, you can relate somehow. What do 
you, what would you say is the greatest challenge? I'd like to hear from each of you. Now that you've done this, you've written the book, you, and, and you're continuing to do this work, what, what do you see as the greatest challenge for folks that have invisible disabilities, given the world we live in today? You know, when my mom was kind of, you know, in the rank and file of having an in, in, invisible disability, it was really different than where we are today and how we're connected. What do you, what do you see as the greatest challenge for these people? I, I would say, especially for those with mental illnesses, is is getting society as a whole to let go of the stigma. Uh. I mean, it's just, we. I don't understand it. I mean, if somebody has diabetes, you're like, oh, you have diabetes. But if somebody has mental illness, you're like, ah, go away. And I mean, it's just, it, it's, a, it's a disorder, just like a physical disorder. But we have these walls up around us and we get in just so uncomfortable and we just don't want to be around it. And I mean, that's what I would say. Trisha, how about you? You know, I would probably, I I definitely agree with you. Um, And I think I would add on to that by saying, I I think that a big challenge is admitting it. it, It's kind of self-acceptance that, that you can, is letting go of of the shame, Um, forgetting about, you know, what you think other people are going to say. I think our, our society in general sends this message that our lives are supposed to look and feel and present in a particular way. And I think we, as individuals, work really hard to, to close the gap between what our lives really are like and what we think they should be like. And if that gap is too big, we're never going to be able, we're going to be so stuck and not be able to make any change. So the first thing you have to do to, to get help and to get is to be willing to be open and honest about what's really happening. And that, that takes a lot of courage. I think that's, in my, from my perspective, probably the hardest challenge. You know, this is really, you know, uh, where we live in the world, and, and we see this in our young people. You know, I know you've interviewed adults, but, I, but what I want to talk about a minute is, you know, this idea of so many young people um, you know, being born into the world and, and being different. As a matter of fact, I have a friend and she says, you know, it was interesting to grow up and, you know, live with ADD, ADHD, uh, and be called disability. She says, I'm learning different, uh, but I'm brilliant. And, you know, it's, and I, when I heard that from her and just saw how misunderstood she was most of her life until, you know, somebody was able to figure it out and send her to a school where she could be nurtured and, and just shine. Um, her life would have been very different had folks not realized for her that she was different and not, not really disabled. How can we help people recognize their children as different, but not necessarily disabled? Yeah, I think that's such a great point. Mm. You know, I, I haven't ever said this to Trisha, so she'll probably be surprised with the title uh-huh. of the book. I kind of wish it said Invisible Challenges, because mm-hmm. actually, you know, that question you asked earlier, Dr. Pat, if we've gotten any flack, the only thing I've gotten a little flack on is the word disability, because people will say, well, I'm not disabled. What are you talking about? It's not a disability. It's a strength, or I, I'm really creative, and I was like, I agree, I know, I know. So it's, it's, it's a little, that, that word can be a little bit tricky. You know, I look at my daughter, who is so creative and has the kindest heart of anyone I've ever met. I'm not just saying that because she's my gal. Uh, (laughs) And she just, you know, one of the things that's hard with her at school is they worry that she's 
she prefers to play by herself because she finds the other kids boring because they don't want to play her imaginative games and she kind of isolates herself. But she's like, but mommy, I'm having more fun. And, and yes, she doesn't do great on the schoolwork, but yet she understands things that some of the other kids don't get. And I know that Trisha has that with her son as well. I don't know about probably the schoolwork part, but just in terms of seeing the world in a different way and recognizing that these kids, their strengths, if you can get to their strengths, which to me are huge and numerous, then that outweighs, for me at least, the things that are more difficult for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think just to add to that, um, if I can, I, I think for all the progress that we've made, in, in many areas, one of the things that I think is, is really going to trip up these kids with, like, Lisa's child and the daughter and my son is that they, they are different, and they may not learn the same rate or the same way um, or even be able to present their knowledge in the same way. Um, but, but with the way that the academic environment and the public school right. schools are headed, the box is becoming narrower and narrower and narrower. And right. I think that, oh, yeah. that that is going to be a huge problem for some of these um, quirky kids. Right, right. I have to tell you, it was a huge problem for me. I mean, I'm one of these folks. I went back to school, you know, uh, later on in life after, you know, I experienced a downsizing incident. And I remember studying for the GREs, right, to get into graduate school and all of that. And then I remember actually taking them and having to sit there for eight hours. Who does that? Who can do that? I mean, certainly me. No, not so much. But I mean, it is really crazy, I'm not a good I'm not a good test taker, right? I oh. mean again, strengths and weaknesses. Right. I know. But it doesn't really standardize, standardize someone's test. ability, does it? I mean, certainly mm-hmm. you know, my learning different uh, little quirky thing I had seriously helped me in theory development. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. It is well, interesting. I know you were saying with your son that he gets stuff too, right? That other kids don't get. Yes, but yet he you know, he, he works three times as hard as any other kid I've met at school. And, and yet, you know, and, he, and he does okay academically, but, but requires a tremendous amount of support, most of the time, um, but yeah. requires a tremendous amount of uh, support to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you give him, you know, we just recently went through a whole big uh, neuropsych eval for him just because it was, it was time for his IEP, and, you know, his test results are just ugly. <laughs> I, I, I mean, know. if you were to look at this child on paper without knowing him, you would walk away thinking, eh, it's not so bright, and, and he's not going to be, he may not be successful in, in, the, in the competitive world. Um, but if you meet him and you sit down and you have a five-minute conversation with him, you will be knocked off you know, your socks will be knocked off because he's so bright and he's so insightful. But those are not, and he's so unique in the way he thinks, but those, those are not strengths that are measured um, right. Right. By, right. by our schools today. Well, I mean, clearly this is what we're talking about for so many people. I want to ask you uh, uh, about the stories. I want to just kind of skip to the stories if we could. You know, I I've always love this question because, you know, I did a bunch of interviews, you know, on the topic of broken promises. And I got asked the question, were there any surprises? Uh, and, you know, and, and I want to ask the same thing for, for you guys. I mean, I know this is near and dear to you. 
but I guess the question is, I mean, were, was there, were there any stories where people were talking to you and your mouth was like wide open? And I'm, I'm just curious if any of these, you know, hit you personally. Hmm. <laughs> I know, like you're going to say all of them, right? You know, right. like all of them. <laughs> I know it's hard to choose. Well, you it know, is. one of the, yeah, they're definitely, I mean, I think one of them that is a, is about a, a young girl or, you know, 13-year-old girl who develops agoraphobia and mm-hmm. was in a domestic violence situation with an older boyfriend and oh. just the things that she went through and her alcoholic parents and her abusive sister. And you're just like, oh, how is this even, you know, but she got help and, and there's, you know, sunshine at the end of the rainbow and there's, you know, there's, there's things that can be done. And, and that's what I love about the book is that they are hopeful and, and there's hard times during it. It's not like, oh, it's easy and magic and everyone, you snap your fingers, everyone's fine. It's not like that. It's hard work and there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, Trisha can talk on that herself yeah. with her, how much yeah. her life has changed, right? Yeah. Oh, me. absolutely. I mean, I still struggle probably, I would say daily. I mean, honestly, yeah, daily yeah. with the elements of, of OCD, but it's certainly not as debilitating as it was, um, you know, 10 years ago. And, and again, just because it's such an important point to me, it's because of a story. It's because yeah. somebody was willing to tell their story that it lifted me out of, um, out of a, that cycle of, of silence and shame. Right. Right. I love this. You know why? You know what I love? That us, you know, us, uh, us girls sitting here talking about this right now, because I am reflected when I read the book and then I'm reflecting on my own life. I reflected on how long I kept the secrets of my family within me. I, I, how long? And I remember trying to have a conversation with my mother's sister, my aunt, and she threw me out. And, <gasps> and I thought to myself, I cannot be alone in this. You know, the, the, the veneer of shame and guilt that surrounds what we're calling indivis- invisible disabilities is at an epic proportion. What have you learned to help people get beyond this? so that they can have some level of self-esteem and hope for their lives and their families. I, I think that, and again, going back to the story, is that, or the idea of stories, is that if, if we, if, if I open up, if I mm-hmm. say to you, my life is messy, my life is confusing and full of contradiction and, and is so not neat and tidy, that as soon as I do that, as soon as you hear me say that, essentially I'm giving you permission to say the same thing. I'm giving you permission to kind of let your guard down and say, well, gosh, well, maybe I don't have to pretend. Maybe maybe I can be safe um, in acknowledging my own mess and my own contradictions and my own confusion. And so I I think for me that Mm -hmm. that is probably the best thing that, that we can do. Wow. You know, it's interesting. I want to ask you about this. Um, you know, Lisa, Trisha, uh, movie. I want to get to a movie. One of my favorite movies. Why? Because the characters are all in the category we're talking about. There isn't a single actor or role in this particular movie that isn't in one of these categories. And I'm referring to a Silver Lining Playbook. Um, and, you know, that is a film where... Of course, you know, you have people that have won Oscars for it and the roles. But right out of the gate, the public is being asked to look at people which have in 
some of the invisible disabilities, but some of them not so much. And every character in in this movie has some level of disability. Everything from codependence from to OCD for, for bipolar disorder, from sexual uh, addiction. It's all in there. And yet people have become so endeared with the characters. Now, the question is, why do you think that is? You know, what They're is it about love. us that needs to see people with these disabilities in a different light? First of all, I have to say, I had no idea what this movie was about. <laughs> I'm so behind keeping up with what's going on in pop culture, right. apparently. I heard it was a great movie. I had no idea. Trisha, did you know that this that this had, this had movie had all this? I had no idea. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm like you. I have no I can't wait to see it. <laughs> well, yeah. You see, I've watched it ten times because, oh my you know, gosh. I, I think I'm just like, I so relate to it. But, you know, here is a film, and let's talk about what it does. It bring, sure. it shows the it shows people at their worst, and then it shows how they can change to be at their best. I get the sense that 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 is what you have found in your research and interviewing people. They know what it's like to be at their worst, but these stories also, and what you've captured is people at their best. Do you think the folks that you've interviewed are different? Did they have something special? Did they take that magic Kool Aid or what? I don't, I don't, I don't know. What do you think, Tricia? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by magic Kool Aid. Yeah. Well, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, is this now? Do we have the ability to help people with invisible disabilities? And what would that look like? What do we need to show up with as show up as in as in our society in order to help folks? In order to help them live truly abundant lives. Well, I think it depends on what you mean by help. I think that, you know, clearly we, we are not mental health professionals, so we can't help them in mm-hmm. that capacity. Mm-hmm. But what we can offer is a willingness to see them and see each other for who we really are. And if, if there's a sense of, I, I love you and I will accept you and I accept you quirks and warts and labels and disorders and all. And I think that, you know, for those of us who are not mental health professionals, um, that, that's the way we can, that's the way we can help. We can say, you don't have to be, you don't have to be perfect for me to love you. And it's okay that you're a little hard to live with. Yeah. I, you know, part of this is, you know, the way you guys have captured certain individual uh, attributes. I remember reading one interview and I think it was with Brian Lee. Where, where you guys asked the question of what, you know, people being entrepreneurs, people that have AD, ADHD and ADD tend to be or gravitate towards being entrepreneurs. And I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about myself. So I was fascinated with the answers to this. And I was really struck by, you know, one of the comments where I think Brian says, my worst fears are having to look busy for a boss or to be told to do things that I know will trigger my ADD and zap my energy. And so it was so telling that I stepped away thinking if there was one thing we could learn from what you've done is that we do not live in a one size fits all. Yet it seems like what has come in the past in our healthcare industry is that we're trying to do a one size fits all. Can you both just comment on that? And thank you for joining me here today. I wanted to say on, on the, uh, 
on the Brian Leaf, I wanted to mention that the reason he speaks after his interview, or we did an interview with him, is that we have experts in the book. Uh, many of them are, are in the neuroscience field or, or psychiatry field and uh, counseling field, and so they answer some questions after after some of the essays. And what we did with Brian and a couple of other, others who who really found a way to deal with their invisible disabilities is we asked them to uh, be the experts. So it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. But I, in terms of what's happening with the one-size-fits-all, that is a problem. I mean, it's a problem in the schools. It's a problem in the medical community. And I think the more awareness, the better. I'm not sure what else we can do. I think education, bringing these things up, and, again, people coming out and talking about them and being as open as they can is going to go a long way. And for me, you know, at risk of sounding like a one-trick pony over here, um, <laughs> it, it, it gets down to being able to accept yourself and accept yes. that, you know, you're not – You may, maybe if you have ADD, maybe – um, maybe a job as an accountant is not the job for you, no matter what, yeah. you know, society <laughs> may be telling you. Um, maybe maybe that's not the right job for you, and, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe being an entrepreneur is, is the perfect job for you. And I think it's yeah. about accepting yourself enough to, to listen and to know who you really are and be okay with that and, and take a, a job or follow a path that will capitalize on um, on your strengths and, and not rely so much on your weaknesses. There's actually yeah. a story in the book that um, uh, by Ivana Fast called Falling Short. Mm. And she, she talks a lot about that. She was, and in some ways her story really just exemplifies the, the book for me. She struggled her whole life, and she, she looks fine. She is a smart, smart person. You wouldn't, ne- wouldn't necessarily guess there was, there was a problem. But yet she struggled to maintain a job, to have relationships, to um, get through... Uh, her education, and it wasn't for lack of trying. I mean, this is a woman who worked tirelessly and was just so resilient in, in her attempts to to grow and to kind of create the type of life she imagined that she was supposed to have and just came up with a ro- roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And it wasn't until she was in her 40s when she was diagnosed with nonverbal learning disability, which is a, a disorder that has some similarities to Asperger's but not mm-hmm. totally similar, but... Regardless, it made her life difficult, and it wasn't until she got the diagnosis and had some understanding about what it meant for her and her strengths and her weaknesses that she was able to craft a life and a career for herself that that allowed her to find some success. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. It, it, it took me a, a, a higher education program to realize that I actually see words. And, you know, one would think that, oh, my God, that is the greatest gift you have. But try to take a, a statistics exam, you know, <laughs> when you actually see pictures for words. Mm-hmm. And so it's fascinating, you know, to find something that I could do where that actually turns out to be a gift. And right. so thank you both for shining the light so that we can see the gifts that people have and move away from the judgment and the smallness of our own being. Thank you both for joining me here today. Please let folks know one more time how they can find out more about you and get a copy of the book. You can go to www.itsyourhealthnetwork.com. Pat, you are fantastic. Please come on It's Your Health. I'd love to talk about anything with you. (laughs) Oh, I would love to because I'll tell you what I've learned in 11 years doing this. It is all about us teaming up and getting together to help people live their best lives. You guys, I have to thank you so much for taking a conversation that is so personal to me 
and that took me many, many years to even talk about. Thank you for shining the light of hope on it. Thank you both. I'm Dr. Pat, and here I am with my Galeo's Cafe tip of the week. I'd like to share with you a recipe directly from Galeo's Cafe website. Try this oriental chicken salad. Slice a boneless, skinless chicken breast. Put it in a baggie. Pour in about two tablespoons of sesame miso dressing. Close the bag and shake it to coat it. Marinate in fridge for about maybe 30 minutes. Then fire up the grill. Grill the chicken until done. About eight minutes on each side. While the chicken is grilling, put salad greens on a plate. Romaine, Chinese cabbage, cilantro, whatever you want, and top with shredded carrots and almonds or cashews. Slice the cooked chicken breast and put it on top of the greens. Add crunchy rice noodles and top with more Galeo sesame miso dressings and enjoy. For more information, go to order your dressing today at galeoscafe.com. That's G-A-L-E-O-S cafe.com. Remember, shipping is free. Get sophisticated with David and Philip Zarza. David and Philip touch on topics such as human potential, spirituality, pop culture, and purposeful living. Experience an insightful reading from David on what the universe has in store for you. Or reconnect with a departed loved one. Philip can look into an issue or anything else you may be dealing with. Go to GetSophisticated.com. That's S-O-P-H-I-S-T-I-G-A-Y-T-E-D.com. Or call 206-420-8660. Wonder how to make more confident strategy for retirement? Do you know that there are potentially more than 12 things to consider when planning for or approaching retirement? Then stop wondering and attend the retirement seminar hosted by Jeff Packman, financial advisor with Packman Brown and Associates, a financial advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services Incorporated in Bellevue, Washington. Call 425-372-4813 for a formal invitation to the next seminar on November 5th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Light hors d'oeuvres and beverages will be provided. This is an informational event. There is no cost or obligation. Ameriprise Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. If you're one of the millions of Americans suffering from anxiety, you probably know how powerless and out of control this emotion can make you feel. This is why it is so important to remember that anxiety is created by your mind, which means that you can learn to use your mind to uncreate it. Hello, my name is Dr. Friedman Schaub. My award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution, provides you with a step-by-step breakthrough process to understand and resolve the root causes of your anxiety and build a solid foundation of confidence and inner peace. If you're ready to take your power back Visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. That's thefearandanxietysolution.com. Or call 866-903-6463. That's 866-903-MIND. Get insider knowledge about everything that is going on at Transformation Talk Radio. Go to transformationtalkradio.com and enter your email to receive our newsletter. Stay updated on new hosts, inspiring guests, and good news articles from around the world. We look forward to having you join our community.
Would you like to be a question with anything that comes up in your body or mind? Would you like to become totally aware and begin to function as the conscious being you truly are? Join Access Certified Facilitator Glenna Rice every month for a live teleclass where you can ask all of your questions and learn to create change in any aspect of your life. Visit GlennaRice.com today to learn more and don't miss the next call. Join the questionable conversation today at GlennaRice.com. 